Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, so Monday afternoon. And I have a lot to do, a lot of podcasts committed to this week. So I'm going to devote today's to talking about Miguel's Ruth because we got Shabbos coming up. Uh, no particular order. Uh, Miguel's Ruth, which we all know we're going to be reading very soon, obviously. Today's podcast is um, being sponsored by the Elmans, Michael Elman and his family, um, because today's the yard set of his dad. That's what he wrote me. Today's the yard set of his dad. Who. To my surprise, he told me it's from Minsk, the same place where my father was. I always had him marked down for Hungarian or something like that. It goes to show you racial profiling is no good in this day and age. Um, he's a Minsker, just like me. And he wrote me his father's name was Julius Feigelman. That's America's Elman. And born in Minsk. He was smarter than my dad because he lived through, he's born in 1906. That means he's born, he was eight years old when the First World War began, his father. And uh, he lived through the revolution in World War One. You know what that is? But then he immigrated to Detroit with his parents and older siblings, siblings in 1923. That's the smart thing to do. The people who came over to this country, you know, ducked World War II. Uh, my father wasn't that fortunate. So he was one of the wise ones. Um, Nebuch. And uh, he was the youngest of 12. Well, well, well. And he said, and Michael's name for a great-grandfather was a Baltokea. That sat and learned the whole day. While the grandmother ran the gravel business. That's the old school. Right? That is the old school. And he passed away, I guess, almost almost 20 years ago. And so as we say, although the Litvaks don't say this, but I've gotten used to saying this in my show, then Hashem should have an aliyah, as they say. And I would say that Michael's brought credit to the family name, which is the most important thing you can do. The rest is uh, fluff. Um... Let's talk about Megillus Ruth because obviously Shavuos is around the corner. And by the way, not everybody reads Megillus Ruth. If you look in Zev and I don't have it in front of me, you know, most men hug him do. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Chabad, I think, Dustin or something like that. Um, it's interesting if you read his thing because we're all used to, you know, you live in Baltimore, you all you know is Baltimore, you live in Muncie, all you know is Muncie. They're different men hug him. Nevertheless, it's an old and famous minute to do Ruth. Uh, there are many themes involved in Shavuos. One of them is Matan Torah, even though it doesn't say, so we talked about that uh, a great deal already. And one of them is David Amel. Now, it's interesting that they didn't, we don't have a minute to read Messianic texts, which is interesting. You know, the ghoul is going to come, David Amel is associated with Mashiach. But we do have this custom to read about the ancestry of David Amel, which is just very interesting. <clears throat> now, actually, those who know the Gemara, and I think everybody here is familiar with this, noted David's ancestry was actually controversial. Um, there's a famous passage where when he goes to fight Goliath, the king says, whose son is this? And, you know, all the Mepharshim say, what do you mean, King Saul? You don't know whose son it is? He's been your harp player for a while. Because when King Saul was condemned very cruelly by God for failing to kill Amalek out, 
he was condemned very cruelly to have mental issues. It says, Ruch Rabbi Asum Hashem. And black spirits came upon him. No, the punishment was the mental issue, which is terrible. Okay? Just terrible. David himself later on says, I'll take a Don't do to me what, I, what you did to Saul. And when God gives David his uh, insurance policy in the book of Samuel, the Shmuel Bays, as a reward for David wanting to build a base of Moose, he says, I won't do to you what I did to Saul. He says those words. So you see, you know, this is hovering over him. Anyway, the Gemara says, in Yavamas, I guess, that when the king said, Who is this? He meant, you know, is he kosher or not? Is he from Jew? Or Avner said it, whatever. Not Avner, uh, Doeg. And the point of the matter is, they knew David was already descended from Ruth. And there's a whole question of Moavi, Moavis, Ammonia, Ammonis, you know, that whole thing. Which means that David, from the early years and before he was born, even there was a question about Gerus. Now, the Davidic family had issues with Gerus because Shlomo Amel played fast and loose with the rules, at least according to the Rambam. Shlomo married all these Geisha women. Um, it seems from the Pusik that he didn't get over it. We've discussed this in the past. There is in the Yerushalmi, I did not long ago in, in Sanhedrin, actually, the Biochon, I think, says, they get over it. You know, Shlomo um, loved Geisha women. He says those words. But others say different. And the Rambam, very famously, in um, over there in Hilchus Yisuri B, I just did it my show the other day. That's a piece I know very well. Um, he says, Al Yala Al Dadcha, Shashimshanu Shlomo, Nosu Nosim, Nosu Nosim, Don't think they just married chicks, but rather they instead went through legalities. And there, the Rambam lays out his famous tripartite um, division of Gerus, uh, category A, category B, category C. And, um, and it's very important to know this because there are a lot of statements in Chazal elsewhere talk about Gerim this way and the other, and if you don't get it right, you misapply them, which would be uh, very wrong. And what I have in mind, for example, is when it says, Kosha Gim Yisrael Kesapachas, or Kenegat Saras, as the Raman puts it over there in Hilkas, Yisrael Be'en Perikah Gimel. Um, really? You're telling me the Gimel like that? And um, it's clear from the Rambam that uh, he, he has in mind not the Gerzetics, for example, and not even the Gerz, but the Ump category. I'll explain what I mean. And Ruth is an outstanding example, possibly the outstanding example in the Bible, in the whole Torah, of the Gerzetic. Offhand, I can't think of any other. Right? We have some famous Gerim, according to Jewish lore, but it doesn't say in the same way about any of them that uh, they were geared sedics. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Can you think of somebody? Bas Paro, that's a chazal. It doesn't say it anywhere. Right? All it says is that she say baby Moses. And maybe there's a pasuk in Dirayam about Bisya. Um, Yisrael, it doesn't say clearly what if he converted or didn't convert. Therefore, it's a machlokis. And if he was a geared or not, but Ruth, there's nothing to talk about, right? She was a princess. She gave it all up. Your people is my people. You know, your your God is my God. I mean, that's the end of it. And she lived a life of poverty. The whole story of the book of Ruth is to point out that she was rich and she lived poor. That means that's a lishma. That's a geretetic. You can't say they did it for ulterior motives. She can't say they did it to enjoy the wealth. 
of the Jews or anything like that. She embraced a life of poverty. I know in the end it turned out good, but she paid her dues. And um, is there anybody else? Who's I don't believe so. And therefore, the book of Ruth became, the, the custom became to read this uh, tribute to the Geretzetic. In the case, this case, a female, the Geretzetic, when she was in the day Matan Torah, which is very nice. In other words, it's very mistaber. Because what it's saying is the Geretzetic is a high madrega, the highest. And the Geretzetic does their own shavuos. There's no kaflam harkigigis by Geretzetic. Right? That's the interesting thing. The Jewish people don't come across looking that great. They said, we can't hear God's voice. You take over Moshe. There are parts they don't want to accept, like I mentioned the other day. If you get down to it, they were reluctant. You know, uh, that's the whole I, I I did this last week. Not by Ruth, not by Gary Sedek. They say like this, I'm willing to embrace all the hardships. No problem. So they, in a certain way, in a certain way, their cabals are towards superior. It's just interesting. And the idea goes like this. We can learn from them. And I want to tell you something. Is it fair shatosis that I know you know? Everybody knows this. In Kedushan over there, we're, we're, in the, we're in the fourth parak, wherever it is, when they say, Kosha Gim Kisapach is a game of bad news, Rabbi Huda Ger, I don't have it in front of me, but I know everybody knows this. Right? Rabbi Huda Ger says, they're bad news because the Ger make the other Jews look bad because the Ger are firmer. You understand? Are firmer. Now, what does that mean? Somebody brought it up to me and showed the other day, but he didn't realize who the who the Baltosis was. It's Rabbi Huda Ger. I don't know who Rabbi Huda Ger was exactly from the history point of view, but let me tell you something, buddy. If you had a guy who was born a Christian and then became a Baltosis, <laughs> that's a Gerzetic. Right? If he reached the level of being one of the Baltosis, he's in the Tosis. He's a Gerzetic, if there ever was one. And so he can say that we make you guys look bad, and he's not wrong. Right? Because the Jews do it because they have to do it. Mitzvah And he just embraced it. And whoever this guy was, if he did it in the 12th century in France, because it wouldn't be in the Balitosis, he had to be 12th century in France. When all the dangers were with converting. It was a Catholic environment. I mean, you can just imagine what it was like. Um, you know what I mean? You can just imagine what it was like um, to take your life in your hands and convert. And it became a rabbi, you know, Rabbi Huda Ger. So Rus is the archetypal one of this. And the difference between Mustaber. Now, you and I, I'm talking about those who are born Jewish, uh, we're supposed to be inspired in the same way you just said. I said, you know, I feel bad. I'm looking at the story of Ruth. She makes me look bad, like Rabbi Hudagir said in the Tosas. Right? She said, your people, my people, I'm giving up everything. Would, would we do that? You'd like to think the answer is yes. You don't know. And nobody's looking for an Nisayan. But she did do it. Right? And, you know, it's just interesting. Now, um, in the case of Ruth, so um, the story is that even when she becomes a gear and all that, there are questions about whether or not she's to marry a Jew. At least according to the Jewish tradition, when the guy says, Lo ashkis es 
You know the story like I know the story. I don't have to tell you the story of Ruth. I haven't even looked in the year. But when there was a field of Elimelech and they put it up for who should take it over, he said, if you, if you, if you get the field, you got to marry Ruth. He said, Loashchis is not the other guy, the Tov, the Plony Almoni. Which means he said, I heard there's a Shalin connected with this. Shal of the Yichas. I don't want to deal with it. Right? I could totally see somebody today saying that. Especially Chassidish guy, the very into Yichas, purity of lineage and all that stuff. I'm saying, I'm, I'm not being funny. They say, if I start with us, I should get a piece of real estate and then marry somebody. I don't know what my kids' status is going to be. Maybe we're all high with love. And I want to remind you, in the ancient times, there was a strong body of opinion the Chavi Lav is a mamzer. Okay? I think many of you who are listening know this, because I imagine a lot of Dafyomi types or that sort of thing listen to a podcast along these lines. Rabbi Akiva, there was a strong body of thought in ancient times. You see, you can't go and transpose current notions to 3,000 years ago. We live in what we call halachic world, in which all the opinions over the course of time some got accepted, some didn't get accepted, the issues became crystallized, and they're sort of like, not up for discussion today. They were certainly up for discussion once upon a time. And it's clear from the Gemara and Yuvamas, in the Book of Ruth also, if you read it through rabbinic lenses, that the question of whether or not a Jew is permitted to marry a woman, a, a Gerd Sedek even, from Moab, you see, it's got nothing to do with the, with the purity of your motives. According to those who say, even if Ruth was a big Tadekis, and let's stipulate that. He's a big Tadekis. Doesn't matter. Suppose today you met somebody. I mean, uh, uh, I was going to. Met somebody today who was a big Tadekis, and she is. And she is. But she's also a Mamzer. It's not her fault. By definition, a Mamzer is not her fault. It's, it's, it's her parents. You can't marry her. Right? I'm a con. Suppose I met a Grusha who was a fantastic person. And there are. It doesn't matter. Can't do it. It's a high we love. Now, in those days, I guess it never happened before. That's my only way of understanding it. The Moabite woman converted to Judaism. I'm not sure. If you want my opinion, it's a guess. I imagine that there was a great hostility between the Israelites and the Moabites. And Israelites did not marry Moabite women because of the bad experience they had in Bamidbar with the Benos Moab at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu at the end, you know, after Bilaam, when 24,000 died. I just suspect that it left a bad taste and people said, you know, don't marry a, a, a Moabis. I could be wrong, you know. And here came a princess from Moab, according to our tradition. Says so she's a Moab, Spitz Moab, as they say. And now you had a real question. Uh, because it certainly seems from that Gomorrah that the issue hadn't really been, you know, worked through yet. And, you know, the briskerov and all that. I, I, I don't have to go through all these vartoras. You'll hear from your local rabbi or Magashir or anything like this. I'm sure you heard it over the years. You know, it was a halacha mishimi sinai. Mavis doesn't apply to the women. But there certainly were strong views it was one of the Torah sheetahs out there that Moabite women as well as Moabite men may not marry Jews. Now they can convert, right? 
that can convert, and especially if it's in Sneer, it's a Gertzedek, but this Moabite Gertzedek, this Moabitess Gertz Tzedek, cannot marry a Jewish guy. She can marry another Moabi, she can marry a Moni, she can marry a Mamzer, she can marry a, a Ger. You know, there are halachas involved with all this. But she can't marry a Boaz. Right? She can't marry a Boaz. Um, regular Jew. And uh, this was the whole question. Now, obviously, the story of Ruth um, should have settled that. This happened years and years before Saul came along. So, this is a great-great-grandmother of David, and long before Saul. But obviously, it was not recorded in paper. And obviously, um, there was controversy connected with it. And it's clear from the Gemara that, you know, although you and I know the story of Ruth, rumors were out there, as happens in the free world down till today. And she married Boaz, she didn't marry Boaz, what exactly happened? You know, uh, rumors were flying. And um, there's no clarity over what precisely happened. That's clear. Otherwise, the whole, the whole thing wouldn't have arisen. The whole controversy about whether double was legitimate or not wouldn't have arisen. I repeat, in those days, there were a lot of people held. The Chayvei Lav is, um, is a mamzer. And so when you're telling me that David is descended from Moabis, he could be a mamzer. With all the approving that goes along with that, and certainly they'll have a political uh, uh, end to it. So I repeat, it's, it has nothing to do with whether or not she was a Garrett said it. Um, but it's a question of whether or not, you know, she had the right. How luckily to marry the guy. And the, the the rumors were flying whether she married the guy. Uh, that's pretty clear to me. When it says that Doeg and Huziel uh, Avner, who were the two um, generals and officers of Saul, standing near the king, when they were arguing over this, and they were supposed to be great Talmudic scholars, or Torah scholars, when they were arguing over this, so they're arguing over, uh, you know, what really happened. See, you know, it's, it's not much like today. I heard this happen in Lakewood last week. I heard something different. I heard Nerds Israel, this and this. Someone was mocked her, this and this and this. Well, I heard differently, you know. And today, it's all recorded on the internet. So you can find one version on this guy's blog and a completely different version on that guy's blog. That's what it was in those days. Added to all this was the political dimension. Because, as we know, the book of Samuel, Saul was punished by God with the mental problem. And the mental problem was chiefly characterized, from understandably, by certain paranoias, afraid who's going to be, take the king away from, kingdom away from him. Uh, God did something very cruel. Shmuel, now we told him, God is tearing the kingdom away from you because he didn't kill Agag. And the son of Larecha told me Mechan is giving it to somebody better than you. And I'm not telling you who that other person is. As soon as he tells you somebody's going to take it away from you, I'm not telling you who it is, you're going to suspect everybody all around you. And that's what happens to Shaul. He's got to be nervous. Is this guy, that guy, could it be a, 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 you know, a person that's going to take my look away? And in the Middle East, when you take him look away, you kill everybody. Um, that's how it works. Look, for example, the book of Malachim. 
Hames li Yerovam basada yochol haklovim. Hames ba ba. I'm sorry, in the ear. Hames yom beir yochol haklovim. Hames ba basada yochol ofeshemayim. Those days they didn't play around, right? When Dynasty A knocked out Dynasty, I'm sorry, when Dynasty B knocked out Dynasty A, they wiped them out. For the best of reason, if you kill them all, they can't come after you. It's the Stalin uh, logic. You know what I'm saying? If you kill them all, they can't do nothing to you. This is actually the meaning when it says that all those dynasties that were wiped out, it says none of them were even buried. Uh, again, Hames Labasha Ba'ir Yochul Haklavim. Whoever dies from your family, descendants, your dynasty, your friends in the city, will be eaten by dogs. Hames Basada Yochul Whoever dies. In the field, it will be eaten by the birds, by the vultures. Um, why? So you ordinarily, when I was young, you just don't like a claw, you know? You won't even get a, a kvura. Um, imagine how many people in the Second World War, unfortunately, didn't get a kvura, right, from the six million. You know this, right? They're burned. Didn't get a kvura. Besides the one who put in mass graves. So here also... Uh, it's a curse that that we tell those who were bad dynasties and worship idols. They all be exterminated, but not only exterminated, they won't even be buried. But I later came to a different shot. I think this is right. Maybe somebody says it. Maybe not. That's because I know the Middle East a little bit. Suppose you have Dynasty B, and now they're out to knock out Dynasty A. And suppose me, me myself and I. A regular schnook was driving along in the city and I see a political murder and a dead body lying in the street from the Dynasty A. I'm just a regular citizen. If I know what's good for me, I'm going to shut my mouth and keep driving. Because if I get out and say, what's happening? They'll say, oh, you're friendly with this Dynasty? We'll kill you too. Because that's how it works. They're out to kill all the supporters of Dynasty A. So I know what's good for me. I leave the dead body lying in the street, let it be eaten by the dogs. Don't involve cats. <laughs> Keep me out of this. I just happened to be driving by, by for coincidence. I had nothing to do with this. You see? And so what they're saying is when they wipe out these people, everybody be terrified. So if you're Shaul HaMelech and you're told by God, and, and the prophet Samuel said, that God's not backing off on this. So you got to be scared of everybody. Now, he immediately started to have a uh, the depression, whatever you call it, Ruch Rab. As we all know, only David could uh, cure him of this, the young boy uh, who was a harp player. And little by little, that's the brilliant story of Shmuel Aleph. It starts to dawn, little by little, on Shul that David is the guy who's the threat. Which was true. Now, I want you to listen closely. David was the threat. But David was not, you and I know that David was not going to do what Dynasty B usually does to Dynasty A. God set this up in a very weird way. And it's an extremely confusing political situation. And I can totally hear where Shaul was coming from. But it's emphasized again and again in Shmuel Aleph that David did intend to replace Shaul, but not to knock him out and not to do any violence against him. And that's the stories that he could have killed him in the cave, and he could have cut away his uh, garment to show he could have killed him in the valley. You know, David was always saying like this, I'm not going to harm you or anybody from your family. 
I'm just going to take over. When? I don't know. You see? Now, that had to create the most unbelievable tensions. Because even Dubbit's best friend, Jonathan, at a certain point, says, swear you won't kill my children. And they were the best of friends, according to the Pusik and according to the Mishnah Perkeovas. Right? It was a Ava Shane and Tluya Vidor. And even the best of friends, at one point, you look in there, you see, you know, it says, promise me, I, know, I can see one day you'll take over, don't kill my family. Um, and by the way, when W becomes king, he does kill some members of Saul's family. That's a complicated story, but not all. Uh, so, all I'm saying is, if you're Shaul, and you're on Shaul's team, you're loyal to Shaul, like Doeg and Avner and people like that. And Shaul was a heroic character, that's clear. Now you hear that there's this young hero who just killed Goliath, and he may possibly be a contender for the throne, which as the as the story unfolds, he is a contender for the throne, because the more he goes into battles, the more he wins, and the girl starts saying, David killed, the te- uh, Shaul killed thousands, David killed tens of thousands, and he marries Michal, the daughter of King Shaul. You know, I think you have a general idea of the story. So, um, the Shaul team is freaking out, including Shaul himself. Their mom is freaking out. And how do you go against it? How do you oppose this? We know that Shaul wanted to kill David on repeated occasions. Now, you could time it that he only did it when he had one of his black moods, but it doesn't seem that way. Right? Certainly, as the time develops, it's not a part in a black mood. Shaul tells his son, you're a busha to your mother, you know, whatever. Ki something leben ishai levosha simecha. You're, you're covering for David, and he says to his son, you're not safe as long as he's alive. Which in the Middle East is true. Which in the Middle East is true. Now I repeat, you and I will say David's different, he's the exception. Okay, retroactively, fine. How do you know it's the time? And therefore, if you're on the Shaul team, it becomes just a matter of fundamental politics. That uh, number one, you hold Moavi Moavis, that a Moavis is also not allowed to marry a Jew, and it's a Chayvi love, and I'm sure you also hold a Chayvi love as a Mamzer. If you make that assertion, that's the strongest argument that David is an illegitimate contender. He can't be a king, he can't even uh, be a regular Jew. He's a Mamzer. Now, if you want to call yourself during that time, basically you have two sets of rumors out there. Who do you believe? Do you believe the story of Team Saul? Do you believe the story of Team David? What is the argument of Team David? Number one, Rus, the, the halacha is it doesn't apply to women. Moavi lo'amit, Moavis. That's number one. And number two, she talked to Mary Boaz. It was a good old at least, at least the prince of Judah, and according to Chazal, more than that. So he knew the din, and he married her. So obviously, that itself proves that the halacha is it doesn't apply to women, 
Therefore, he's not the descendant of anything wrong. He's certainly not a mamzer or anything disqualified whatsoever. But if you're on Team Saul, you're going to say, number one, it's not true that she married anybody from. Number two, I heard she was a floozy. I heard she was a this, that, and the other. And I heard she murdered her husband. I heard that she was married to a Jewish guy and she killed him. You understand? Maybe she uh, was unfaithful to him. You can put out whatever set of rumors you want. Matter of fact, the internet is perfect for this. <laughs> right? And if you think that you only had hawkers at the mikvah now, you know, these days, spreading Lashar, you had it that time also. In fact, that's the only way people, news got around, by hockey, because there were no newspapers and there were no autoimmunes of communication. Everything was a rumor. And so, there was created, during this period, an extreme tension, which was almost as bad as that between Netanyahu and the others today we find in Israel. I'm giving this these remarks now on um, 29 of year, I guess. That's May 10. As rockets are falling in Jerusalem, or near Jerusalem, I have a son over there. I'm, I'm sitting here you know, in front of the internet with, with the news. If you're listening to this today, you know also, it's uh, 1230 or so. So the Hamas is shooting rockets into Israel. And you don't have to be a, a political genius to know that one of the main reasons they're doing it is there's nobody in charge in the government in Israel. Because between the shenanigans between Netanyahu and, and Lapid and this one, that and the other one, there's no government. When there's nobody in charge, it's like a school with nobody in charge. The kids will uh, take advantage. See, the Arabs are taking advantage. It's a Ramadan and all the rest of it. It's a sad situation. Right? So we know what happens when there's a political tension. And the reason for the political tension is, you know, personalities. There's strong people pro the BB and anti BB and so forth and so on. So imagine 3,000 years ago, we had something similar like that, where the Jewish people were divided over the issue of whether the dynasty of Saul is there permanently or no. The dynasty of Saul is there temporarily and has been, in a, in a weird way, delegitimated. What do I mean when I say in a weird way delegitimated? Shmuel told Saul that God's going to take the king away from you. But Shmuel didn't say, you're hereby fired. Uh, or you die now, or something like that. You hear what I'm saying? It was very cruel. He said, you know, you've just been delegitimated, but you remain the king of Yisrael. And there are many Gemaras about that, by the way, with Abigail and the others, where they tell David, you ain't king yet. So David's in a limbo type situation. Now, if you're on Team David, what is your best, I mean, what's your claim for legitimacy? The claim for legitimacy is the prophet Samuel anointed me. Shmuel Navi. Now, how do you know that's a true story? I'm telling you, I was there, and Shmuel Navi anointed me. I say you're a liar. That's bull. You say Shmuel came to you. I say you're making the whole thing up because you're looking for legitimation because you know very well you're not legitimate. No, I'm telling you it's true. You understand what I'm saying back and forth? You follow? So, in the war of rumors, which dominate the Jewish world at that time, which are a terrible threat because the time of Shaul and David, the time of Shmuel Olive, was constant threat. Wow. From the same place that we have now. It's incredible. Today, the rockets and all the junk are coming from Gaza Strip. 
all the Plishim at that time were bothering, attacking, and killing the Jews from, from Gaza Strip. Isn't that funny? Nothing has changed in 3,000 years, I'm sorry to say. The threat from was from the Gaza Strip at that time, and same thing today. And the Philistines are not going to be able to play off this disunity and hit on the Jews and raid them and kill them and all that stuff. And nothing has changed. And so what do you do with this national crisis? Which is based on two competing narratives, as the modern people say today. And one is the Saul narrative, in which David's a liar and a mumser. In fact, not surprising, a mumser would be a liar. And Team David would say, no, actually Hashem has chosen David, literally. God has picked him out, but in a strange way. He didn't pick him out and say, go kill Saul and take over. I anoint you king, but we'll wait for the right time to happen. It's a strange situation. In the midst of all this, you have Shmuel Anavi still alive, although he's going to die very soon. He's the spiritual leader of the people. He's the great statesman, obviously, who has a reputation for honest. It says that Shmuel's reputation was one end to the other. And Shmuel sees that, uh, the, as I say, everywhere is hawking. And everywhere people are debating. And everywhere is a machlekes. And some are lining up with the Saul side. And some are lining with the David side. And every tribe and all over the place. And this is an unbelievable period in Klai Yisrael. Plus, the Saul team is winning. Because he is the king. And there are many indications that people like Saul better than David. You could debate that. Uh, I always give that as a question on test. You could debate that, but for one thing, you will perhaps remember that wherever David hid, they told on him. Uh, the Ziphim and the other place, whatever, Keilah, there are chapters in their capital can tell him all about this, as well as in Shmuel Aleph. Now, you could argue with me and say they were afraid. They told on David because they didn't want to get wiped out like Novi or Kohanim. You know, there's lots of debate on that. But the tension is you can cut it with a knife. Now, here comes Shmuel Novi. And he says like this, there are a lot of lies and a lot of half-truths being put out there. And the only way to get the truth, truth across is for me to tell the story. And that is why, my friends, Shmuel Hanavi says, I'm going to write a little book called Ruth. Um, it's not going to be dramatic like the Gemara says. There's no Isra, no Heter, no Tumble, no Tyra, and all that. Just want to tell you a story about a certain woman who was a geared headache. And what exactly happened? Turns out she was married twice to a Jew. Um, first time was Machlin Killian, whoever, I guess she was married to Machlin, whatever, Ruth and Arpa. And that Jewish husband, Taka, died. And to tell you the honest truth, she was a shiks at the time. Um, this is a debate in Chazal, but you know, there certainly is a statement in Chazal. They didn't do you no, know, no. They didn't do no garrus, no nothing. He just married her. That's who Machla and Kilian were at that time. Matter of fact, their very names tell you Machlon is the word Machla and Kilian from the word destruction. So they were not exemplary people. They were rich, spoiled people, as we all know. That's Eli Malik fled because he's rich and spoiled. Uh, so there was a husband, and it was a bad marriage, but that was round one. And he starts telling the whole story. 
But there's round two. After her husband died, she came back with Nami. I heard that she left her. No, that's the sister. You see that, how the rumors work? I heard she said, that's it. I'm staying back in Mo. No, that's the sister Arpa. Right? And so in this book, he's, I'm going to tell you the exact details. And then she goes and lives a life of poverty as a Gerzedek with Naomi and eventually marries Boaz. Um, I heard Boaz didn't marry her. No, that was Tob. That was plenty of money. Boaz actually married her. They had children. You understand? No, I'm cleaning up the uh, the rumors. I'm giving the factual story. And if she married a guy like Boaz, who was like Gavilna Gon, the Chazin, something like that, must be, you can't get a better proof that it's Moaviv Lo Moavis. Because a guy, when the Madrega of Boaz, for a whole bunch of reasons, would not marry somebody he's not allowed to marry. Wouldn't marry someone and children should be momsers or or chayvilav, whatever you want to call it. If he married her, it was on the up and up, and uh, and now that should put the rumors to rest. Which means I've just said something quite remarkable that the the Gilles Rus is not simply tell you a story of a Gerritzetic, although it certainly does, and it doesn't simply tell you a happy ending of of someone who who sacrificed a lot, you know, for lishma to be Jewish, although it does. But to clarify a, a point of political contention having to do with the very question of the legitimacy of the Davidic dynasty, which was about to take off shortly after all this happened. Uh, Shmuel died before Dov becomes king. But Shmuel died not long before Saul gets killed in the Battle of Gilboa. That's why he, he raises the, the ghost from the witch. The Gemara says within 12 months he can do that. After 12 months he can't do that. And so, you know, it's about the time when Saul's about to go. They get killed in battle. So these were, the, the tension was so thick you could cut it with a knife. And in order to make a political, see, here's a book in the Torah that was written for political reasons. Now that sounds like a radical shot. You know who says this? Um, Alkabetz. This is a shot of the Shoshisha. The Shlomo Levi Alkabetz. Everything I just told you was Rotel uh, Chododi, of course, in the 16th century. And we know him from Chododi. Some people may also know him as a Kabbalist, and he was a brother-in-law of the Ramak, and a Talmud of, of what's his name, of um, Yosef Karo. I, I believe he's the one who tells the story on Shavuos that the, the um, what am I thinking of? The Magid, you know, like an angel, came and said, you guys stayed up learning all night. As a result, you'll be Zohar to go to Israel and become big and so forth and so on. The Shlomo Levyalk was the famous rabbi. Uh, one of the things he did in his life was to write uh, a commentary in the five Megillas, which are considered the best of the genre. Some people wrote to me last week when I mentioned the uh, Medrash Shmuel on Pirkeiovus is the best one, the Pirkeiovus, um, which I think uh, it's a classic, certainly. Also from the 16th century, Svartim from Tzvaz. So, along those lines, among the best, I would say the best, but when, you know, you could argue, commentaries on the five Megillas are those by Alkabetz. Uh, the most famous is the one on Megillus Esther, which is called, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, Manos HaLevi, because it's Shal Chmonis, 
that he sent to a shver. That's the story. <laughs> Minoso Levi. And the one on um, Megillus Ruiz is called Shoresh Ishai for obvious reasons. And his style is sort of like that, somewhat similar to that of the Medrash Mul, which is you collect all the opinions out there and you are no similitim in them. So they're extremely intelligent and interesting uh, way of doing a, a, a commentary on the text in Megillah. So, for example, when Ruth and Ar- Arpa married the husband of Machlan Chilion, they, 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 they did convert, they didn't convert, they're Megayer, they weren't Megayer. I mean, let's put it this way. If if you go with those who say that Ruth was Megayer when she married the first husband, what she have to do anything with Nami for? Unless you say, well, then, you know, that was just a lousy conversion, like a Sapachas at Saras, and now she had a real conversion, but then are you telling me that the other conversion didn't count? That's a big question in literature. So, you see what I'm saying? He 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 deals with these issues. And uh, Pusik by Pusik. Now, uh, in theory, I would say every rabbi should do this in shul, on Shavuot. But they're kind of long and technical. So it's more like something to consult. If you're looking at something very specific in Megillus Ruiz, I would always tell people, go look at Shor Shishai, because he's excellent. But of course, he's only up to the 16th century. But nevertheless, he's great. The Shor Shishai, so he's a frummy de la frummies. There's uh, Big McCubble, to the time of Ramak and the Rizal. And the Talmud of Yosekara, it's fostering the Golden Age. And he gives a historic and political interpretation to the book, the like of which I've never seen anywhere else. And he doesn't say he's brought down, the, the, this book was written by Shmuel to tell you the godless of a Gerd Sedek, although it does, but rather to tell you for political reasons for that time. You could ask, if that's the case, uh, why is it mentioned in Torah? Why, 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 why was it included in the Torah? If it had a specific political time component. I don't know. We'll never know the answer for why they included those books that they included. But I think, I mean, I'm just surmising that whoever was the committee in time, Anche Sagdola, um, when they decided the final cut what goes in the Tornavim Maksudim, they took a look at McGill's Rus and they said, I guess, it's like a Gavaldic a, a Musser book, right? What does it say? There's no tumalo tyra, but lasos, schar legomi chasadim. Is that how it goes? Something like that. You see, right comes out in the end. You know, you see, uh, uh, you go through hard times, but in the end is good. Uh, that may be. I think, so it's just funny. You and I now have a custom, a very important custom of reading and talking about Megillus Rus. The times Man Matan Torosenu. The original context was a political, controversial one, but it's, it it transcends it. That's who Shmuel Novi was. It transcends its original context, and now we're dealing with like postmodern literature, like uh, Derrida. The text has a has a life of its own, and that lets us to say there's a bruch Well, what do you want? Shmuel Novi wrote it. You know, Shmuel Novi on a bad day. It's better than than we than we have, and so the result is that we were willing to include a safer Shmuel Anubi was willing to write a whole book to try to uh, end the machlokis, the political machlokis in Klal Yisrael. Was he successful to a degree? 
during the whole reign of David, he has issues. People are challenging him. That's another schmooze to go into. And he complains about this in, in, um, in Tehillim all the time. Uh, you know, so you know, he had his issues. But fundamentally, you and I go with the Malchus based of it based on, 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 this, on this account. You understand? So we talk about Mashiach and all the rest of it associated with um, Shavuos and the art set of David and Melch and all the rest of it. At the end of the day, we're relying on the, on, on the birth account from the Megillah Shavuos. Which is kind of heavy, right? Nevertheless, I would say, from our perspective today, what hits us more than anything else is the notion of the godless of the Gerzedek, because, um, and again, Gerzedek is not converting for marriage or any other reason, uh, because they do their Makabalator without Kofelim Harkagigas, and you and I were only Makabalator with Kofelim Harkagigas. Anyway, I thank the Elements. For a sponsor, and uh, with that, uh, I hope this gives you a little food for thought as we go into the holiday of Shavuos. And I do hope the situation will radically improve in Israel, because right now, as I'm ending this, I think the the, the shootings and the bombings are still going on. Hashem Yerachah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.